0: Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. (laughs) Hey, my name's Scott, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Bridge. I'm so glad you guys are here to experience Easter with us today. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I want to start off with asking a question, and here's the question. Have you ever experienced the unexpected? Have you ever had one of those experiences in life where you kind of sit back and go, I never saw it coming? I mean, whatever, whatever happened, you just didn't see it coming. And um, a few years back, my family and I, we had the opportunity to go to Hawaii. I'd never been, you know, I grew up in Alabama. And so, you know, Hawaii like a ways away, both physically and mentally and emotionally, right? We're never going to, and financially, we're never going to get there. But we got to go and we got there and in the very first night, okay, we're in our, our condo there. And man, we're looking forward to a great week. The whole family's there in Hawaii. And about 3.45 in the morning, the, the phone in the condo starts ringing. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's like scaring the daylights out of you, right? And, and I'm like, what, what's happening? What's happening? And my wife, Trina, answered the phone, and she said, it's Stuart, my brother-in-law. Stuart, why is he calling me? You know, at 3.45 in the morning, I was forgetting the time change, you know. Uh, And so he's like, "Why, why? So I get on the phone. Stuart says these words. Scott, this is Stuart. I don't want you to panic. But there is a tsunami about to hit Hawaii. You need to move to higher ground. what now? I, you know, like, how do you put together the phrases, I don't want you to panic, and here's a tsunami about to hit. And we had just seen the tsunami that, you know, hit India and Sri Lanka and all those that wiped everything out. And so you have those images working in your mind, right? And I, I'm like, okay. And so I hang the phone up, and, and I said, Trina, there's a tsunami coming. It's about to hit right now. That, you know, Stuart's saying we need to move to higher ground. And so we're running around in the room like. I, we don't even know what we're doing. I was like, do I pack things up? What? And Trina said, why don't you call the front desk? And so I thought, well, that's a good idea. Let's see what the, the deal is. And so I call. A lady goes, aloha. <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't sound right. you know?" And I said, okay, we just heard there's a tsunami coming. Yes. <laughs> you, okay, are we supposed to do anything? Well, where are you located? And So I tell her where we're located, and she's like, up high enough. And I said, well, what are we supposed to do? Oh, you can go outside and watch it if you want. (laughs) So I got off the phone, and I told Trina that, and we were both looking kind of puzzled, and a few minutes later, she came outside, and I was sitting there with a Diet Coke, and she said, what are you doing out here? She said, come out here and watch. So I'm I'm watching for it. She's like, let's go to bed. So, so the unexpected, right? I mean, all these years you never have gone to Hawaii and you get there in the first night. There's a tsunami coming. Don't be alarmed. Things that you never saw coming. And that probably would sum up the feelings of everybody associated with that very first Easter. Things were happening. They were experiencing the unexpected things that they never saw coming. You know, you go back a week earlier. So 2,000 years ago a week earlier, and they're entering into Jerusalem, Jesus with his disciples. They're entering into Jerusalem and thousands of people are lining the road and they're chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And I'm telling you, they were not only the people, but the disciples, they all viewed Jesus as this Messiah, God's Son, the Savior that, was coming in, that had come into the world. Now, What you have to understand, though, is that their expectation of what the Messiah would be was a little bit different. They expected the Messiah was going to come in. He was going to take over by force and power. He was going to kick the Romans out. He was going to usher in a new golden era for the nation of Israel, secure prosperity and peace uh, for the Jewish people. This was all going to happen with this Messiah. And they viewed Jesus in that light. And so they're chanting, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, they they had good reason for thinking these things because Jesus had kind of hit rock star status at this point. Like everywhere he went, people were flocking just to hear him, just to talk to him, just to see him in person. And the disciples who were with him all the time, these 12 guys, I mean, Because of their close proximity to Jesus, they were feeling it as well, you know. It's like, it's pretty intoxicating being around Jesus and all the people and all the crowds that they were constantly experiencing. When Jesus goes into Jerusalem and that week, various things happened throughout the week. Uh, He amazed people again with some of his teachings He had a couple more showdowns with some of the religious leaders, which that seemed to be something that happened in his ministry a lot, that the religious leaders would challenge things, and he would have a little little bit of a thing going back and forth with them. He went into the temple and kind of cleaned house a little bit with some of the guys that were in there cheating people with money exchanges and things like that. And so he kind of kicked them out of the temple. He had a, you know, just kind of a week that people were looking at going, you know, any minute. He's going to just establish himself as king. He's going to sit up on the throne, and we're going to have a grand old time here in Jerusalem. Well, as the week got toward the end, Jesus and the disciples pulled off by themselves into this upper room area to have a little time privately. And they uh, partook in the Passover meal. And the Passover meal was something that uh, every Jewish family looked forward to partaking in once a year where they really, it was commemorating what God had done for them and delivering them uh, from the Egyptian captivity. they have been in captivity for 400 years when God sent a guy named Moses to deliver them. And so each year they would partake in this Passover meal to commemorate that time and talking about God's faithfulness in the past and God's provision for them in the future. And so the disciples and Jesus kind of pulled off away from the crowds and they experienced this intimate moment together. Jesus kind of said a couple of things that we a little bit weird, but, but the whole night was just a real neat time there together. And from that moment, the next 24 hours rocked their world. It would be a time where they could easily sit back and go, okay, we didn't see any of this coming. From that upper room together, they, you know, that euphoria they had together there, they left from there went down over across this brook to an olive grove where they were having a prayer time together. And that prayer time was cut short because guards were approaching and Jesus had been betrayed by one of his own disciples. And these guards took him, they arrested him. They took him, he stood trial before uh, these religious leaders. And the whole time he was standing trial before them, Peter the outspoken disciple, the one that, you know, I'll take on everybody, I'll pull out a sword, and we'll go to town. You know, just Peter, big, strong Peter, he denies knowing Jesus three different times. The first time he denied knowing him was in front of a middle school girl. And, uh, and just denied knowing him, right? Three different times during this whole, this whole process. The next morning dawned, Jesus was escorted over to stand before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate questioned him and really couldn't find any fault in him tried to release him But the people the very people that had screamed just a week earlier, you know, Hosanna Hosanna blessed is the king now They were the people that were screaming crucify him crucify him and so he tried to pacify the crowd a little bit and He had Jesus flogged had him beaten which essentially ripped the flesh and muscle off of his back and around his sides, thinking that would just pacify the crowd, and he could release him. But the crowd would not be satisfied until Jesus was crucified. Pilate, you know, gave the order for him to be executed on a Roman cross. They took Jesus just outside the city gate, north of town, north of Jerusalem, and there he was crucified on a Roman cross between to criminals. The disciples stood there, all of this transpiring within about 24-hour period, just watching in, in, in disbelief of what had happened in the last few hours. Because the Sabbath was approaching later that evening, a couple of men, Joseph of Arimathea and a guy named Nicodemus, they went to Pilate and said, can we have permission to take Jesus' body off of the cross and place him in a tomb He gave them permission to do that They had to do it quickly because again sabbath was coming So they just took him off the cross and they placed him in a tomb They didn't really have a lot of time to prepare the body They figured they would come back after the sabbath and and maybe do some of that Rolled a big stone there in front of the entrance And the day was done And to say that the things that had happened were unexpected would probably be a colossal understatement. They were experiencing something that they could easily stand back and say, we never saw this coming. We never saw it coming. So the question is, what do you do when the unexpected happens? What do you do in your life when the unexpected happens? What do you do when... A loved one dies suddenly? What do you do then? What do you do when your spouse walks out with very little warning? What do you do when you lose your job without cause? What do you do when you're diagnosed suddenly with a very serious illness? What do you do when the bank forecloses? What do you do when unexpected things happen to you in your life? You know, life is filled with those moments, right? Some of them are more serious than others, but what do you do in those times? When, Man, life has thrown something at you, and you sit back and go, I never saw that coming. And now you're left with the pieces, and you don't know how to put them back together. I think that would describe what these guys were going through. The nightmare that they were experiencing. It would describe their feelings, and I'm I'm sure they probably went through a roller coaster of of emotions. I mean, coming from the earlier in the week, where it's all high, you know, Jesus is in town, we're part of the entourage, raise the roof, you know, it's all these great things are going on, and now there's this feeling of fear, anxiety, hopelessness. Man, the spectrum. What do you do? And these guys, you know, I mean, they had full confidence in who Jesus was. They fully believed that he was the one who was going to be the next Messiah, be the one who ushered ushered in this time, this golden era. But now they're gone. We didn't see it coming. But the truth is, maybe they should have seen it coming. Because even before they went into Jerusalem, like a week earlier, Jesus pulls them off to the side and he meets with these guys privately to let them know some things. And this is the way the Gospel of Matthew describes that little encounter. It says in Matthew chapter twenty that Jesus was going up to and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed. To the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. They will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. He told them this right before they entered Jerusalem. And this wasn't the only time he told them this, he, he told them this many times. Now, earlier on, it was a little bit more veiled than this, but he's speaking very plainly. It's hard to misinterpret what he says right there, right? I mean, you're reading it going, it's pretty clear. You're going to be handed over. You're going to be crucified. Third day, you'll rise again. Almost to the point we sit back today and we'd go, how did you guys not see this coming? Because he told you this over and over and over again. But they didn't see it. They didn't see it coming and so Saturday breaks dawn the break of dawn on that Saturday when they just put him in the tomb the evening before and I'm sure most of those guys they probably woke up thinking I wonder if this was just a nightmare of a dream that we had and they soon would realize it was a nightmare but it wasn't a dream that it was real and now they were left alone and their teacher, their leader was no longer there. They felt displaced. They felt deserted. They were each isolated in their own grief, wondering if we're going to be next, hiding in fear, wondering that. Some of them probably wondering or wishing they could be next just to get this over with. And see, here's what, we, the good thing for us is that we have the perspective of time, right? Right? I mean, we know what's coming because we we, we, we have the perspective of time. We can look and see all the events that transpired. They didn't know. They were living in what we'll call Easter Saturday. They didn't know anything about Easter Sunday. We we stand back today and we have all this knowledge and we, you know, we would look at them and say, Hey, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. But they didn't know that. They were living in the middle of... Easter Saturday they, they were living in the middle they were living between the pain and the peace they were living between the heartache and the hope they they, they didn't know they were in that in-between time and so it, it makes me wonder. and you, you have to ask yourself the question how do I live on Easter Saturday H- how do you live when you're in the in-between time when when you're in between the heartache and the peace that might come how do you live in those moments after the funeral, after the trial, after the loss? How do you live in those times when you don't really know when that next time is coming? You don't really know if there's an Easter Sunday coming. You're just living in the middle of the heartache of Easter Saturday. How do you live in those places well, I think the answer to that really does fall in what transpired and you got to understand something we're going to read a passage in just a moment about what took place on that Sunday but you have to understand I think it's really interesting it's pretty telling I think that after Friday after the crucifixion there were zero believers there were no Christ followers zero there were no disciples uh, there were no i mean there were sympathizers but there were nobody there that still believed you can say why why would that be because jesus said too much during his ministry see see the central theme of jesus ministry was not the stories he told or it was not the things he taught about the central theme of the ministry of jesus was jesus He kept focusing everybody's attention back to himself. He didn't say, you know, believe in these stories or believe in these teachings. He said, believe in me. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me and you'll experience resurrection and life. (laughs) Well, the resurrection and the life doesn't get arrested by the Romans. He said, I am the son of God. When you see me, you've seen the father. Well, the son of God is not going to be killed by some foreign power. I am the Messiah, the one you've longed for, the one you've looked for for hundreds of years. That's me. I am the Messiah. Well, the Messiah is not going to be killed like some thug between two criminals. So see, all that they believed in was now dead. Dead. And when people die, they normally stay dead. And so there were no believers. That's why there was no, you know, when you read the accounts, and we'll see in just a moment, there was no one standing outside the tomb when Sunday dawned. There were no tents out there, people camping out. There were no fires, no vigils going on. There was nobody out there counting down backwards, you know, 10, 9, you know, cue the lights. Here we go, 7, 6, I got the band. You ready? Here we go, 4, 3. There was nobody there because everything they believed in died. There was no one there saying, hey, let's keep the dream alive. Let's keep the teachings alive. No, it wasn't about the dream, it wasn't about the teachings. It was about him, and he was dead. And this is the way John describes what took place on that Sunday morning. John chapter 20, it says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, just an interesting little tidbit of information. In this particular day and age, ladies in the society had no standing, had zero influence. No woman could even testify in a court of law because their testimony was not valid. They had no rights. They had no standing. Okay. So the only reason you would ever put this in the scripture, if you were trying to write something to try to, you know, make a good story and, you know, try to make it believable or whatever, you know, and would jazz this up a little bit, you're going to have men showing up and being the first ones there. But the Gospels show that the ladies were the first ones there. The only reason you put that in there is because it was true. There'd be no other reason to put that in there. You don't help yourself by putting in there that ladies were the first ones there. So you have to go with the validity of what's being written here. See, so she showed up and the stone was rolled away. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loves. That's John. John's referring to himself there. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body. We don't know who they are. They, they have taken. It's like when y'all talk about they said this, they said that, you do this, they, you know, whoever that they is. It's the same they. They've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So she didn't show up there at the tomb, see the stone rolled away and go running away. He's risen. It happened just as he said. He's been resurrected. No, she went away thinking the same things that all of us would be thinking. That dead people stay dead. And if the dead person that was dead in that tomb is no longer there, then someone has taken the body and moved it. She goes running to tell these disciples. In fact, the gospel of Luke, and Luke was of Greek descent. Luke was somewhat of a historian. He documented everything that he He wrote, that's why when you read the Gospel of Luke, it has all these things, these these specific things from history so that you could document what he was writing about. He was very meticulous. He says that when the ladies came and uh, talked to the disciples that they had stolen the body, the disciples, the first thing they thought was, you went to the wrong tomb. What, what are y'all talking about? You're, you're crazy. No wonder they don't let you testify in court. You went to the wrong tomb. I, I added that. Oh, pardon. that didn't really say it. But they, thought, they thought they were crazy. They thought they'd gone to the wrong tomb. There's no, you know, it's not happened. Because no one's believing that there's a resurrection. No one's talking about that. And so John continues to go, right? And he says this, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. So that's John again. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. I'm not sure why that's in there other than the fact that John wanted to let everybody know he was faster than Peter. So, <laughs> outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Why didn't he go in? Because dead people are in there. It's a tomb, Right? Somebody just goes running in there like, hey, what's in here? Dead people, okay? So he didn't go in. And it says, then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. But Peter doesn't care. He's like, I'm going on in. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Now, why this detailed information? What difference does that make? Well, I think. I believe it's just to point to the fact that this is a valid statement because if you're stealing something, if you're going into a place and stealing something, you're not going to take the time to tidy up. Hey guys, before we get out of here, we got all the stuff we came for. Hey, let's get the vacuum out, vacuum that dirt up where you guys tracked it in. Hey, you know, you pull all the clothes out of the drawer looking for. Let's fold them, put them back in there neatly, okay? Everything tied it up. All right, let's go. No, you're not gonna do that. If you're stealing something, you're trying to get in and out and not be detected. The fact that all these things were folded neatly suggests that nobody came in and stole something. It keeps going. And he says, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went in. And he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. John saw and he believed. Up until that point, he hadn't believed because people were just... Jesus was just talking about it. He hadn't believed. But once he saw with his eyes that Jesus was not there, he believed. And so did the other disciples. And these guys that were so afraid and they were fearing for their lives, hiding in an upper room, became these incredibly bold disciples witnesses on every street corner in Jerusalem they were saying Jesus is alive Peter stood up and preached his first message and his points were God sent him you killed him he came back to life now you got to say you're sorry I mean that's basically what his first message was he would have never said that prior to that moment guy named Saul of Tarsus, he was a guy that was bent on persecuting all these new people that were part of this new movement, this new Jesus movement. All these people who were come, becoming followers of Jesus. He would go from town to town bringing all of those people in, making them stand trial, many of them being killed. And he took pride Thinking that that's what was right. That's what he was doing. What he was doing was what God wanted him to do. And then he saw. And he believed. And his name became Paul. And he's the Apostle Paul. And he went from number one persecutor of the church. To the number one advocate and proponent of the church. He wrote over half the New Testament. Started churches all around the Mediterranean realm. James, who writes the book of James in the New Testament was a brother of Jesus. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he's the Messiah? If you've got siblings, if you've got a brother, what would it take for your brother, for you to look at your brother and go, you're, the, you're God's son, you're, you're the Messiah. I mean, it'd be more than a couple of card tricks, right? I mean, you've got to have something there that's going to convince you that he's the Messiah. Yet James, half-brother of Jesus, and also many other, in fact, the Gospels talk about at one particular time when Jesus was teaching somewhere that James and the other family members showed up and they started telling people, send him out here, we'll take him home. He's crazy. All these things he's saying, he's just crazy. He's lost his mind. He's a great carpenter, but he's lost his mind. You know, just send him out, we'll take him home. Now... Believing that Jesus is the Messiah, Savior, Lord. All of these things happening. Why? There's only one explanation, and it's called the resurrection. The resurrection. They saw a dead man walking. They saw a man call his shot. Before it ever happened, I'm going to be handed over. They're going to put me to death, and I'm going to rise on the third day. Anybody that can call their shot like that, you better follow them. They saw a dead man walking, and it changed everything. It changed their lives. It changed the course of human history. It changed everything. And the fact that we sit here today 2,000 years later talking about a Jewish carpenter who only had about three years of public ministry, who never traveled more than 30 miles away from his home, never wrote a single book, never had a speech recorded, and yet today all around the world There are people gathered, singing in languages that you've never heard, living in places that you've never traveled to, and all of us proclaiming the same thing. Jesus is the risen Messiah. There's only one explanation. Only one explanation that's plausible. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. And if he's alive, and if he rose from the grave... The implications for our lives are so powerful. Nick Kalovich is a guy who's a part of the bridge. I met Nick a few years back. And Nick is a guy that the first time he showed up, God did some things that he didn't expect. And from that point forward, he continued to experience the unexpected with God. God and I wanted you to hear his story. Check this out.
1: The biggest obstacle was really getting my mind around it. It started when I was young, going to Catholic school, uh, and then transitioning through life and it just not making sense to me. Um, Plus my family in different religions. Uh, Mother was Hindu, sister Buddhist. My my brother was a Mormon turned Pentecostal and uh, my dad was Roman Catholic. Um, A lot of the things that I heard as I grew up Uh, when I became like 18, 19, it just didn't make sense. The stuff that I was learning and there was no way that that could be real and it was hard to get my mind around it, something that I couldn't justify with science. I chased it in college. Um, I even went into quantum physics where uh, the church and science kind of almost align. It was so intriguing to me, but it was still, there was no proof in the pudding. It was very challenging for me during that time, for sure for a long time. Um, So what brought me to the bridge originally uh, was my children uh, were there in Mother's Day Out program. And uh, I wanted to see what the service was like since my children were going there. It was really cool. It was Jake the Snake um, was the first series that was running there I thought it was fabulous um, one I had snakes when I was in college uh, had very large snakes I'd freak a lot of people out and the guys had this big huge Burmese Python uh, there um, the the best part about it was um, the message it was perfect uh, and it hit right at home it was almost like I had a conversation and it was a moment of realization there was a transition and I remember the moment it happened uh, Marshall walked into my office and he goes, Nick, uh, you know, faith is very strange, but it's a lot like a chair that you sit down into. You just have faith that that chair is going to work. Um, and that really was the science piece that I was looking for. Uh, and it impacted me big time. that uh, let's see fast forward maybe 12 months um, I can tell you that the conversations I had and the realization with Marshall and Kenny Dean and Scott really changed the perspective of what I was trying to do and analyzing it as if it was a science project and turn it into more faith and that's what has been missing Uh, that is where I made that decision it was Easter 2016 Uh, during closing prayer with uh, Scott that I committed myself on that. It was pretty good. I was fiercely doubting exactly what it was uh, to be a Christian and and now uh, that I have a relationship with Jesus it's it is such a fabulous life and I was just outside the other day and just admiring how happy in life I am right now and no matter what is occurring, it's uh, it's always to teach me something and I always learn from it. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: Isn't that a cool story? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe you're a little bit like Nick. And maybe you sit here today and, and maybe you've always put the whole thing with Jesus and, and, and all of those things kind of up there in the same place with fairy tales and other myths. And you just kind of kept it there just at arm's length. So it doesn't really impact you at all. Just kind of over there. And if that's where you are, I just, I really would just challenge you to investigate the resurrection. Something happened. The fact that we're here today means something happened. The person they believed in came back to life. And because of that, he's still, he's still moving stones today. He's still rolling stones away today. And the answer to the question about how do I live in Easter Saturday, the resurrection is the answer. To that question. You see, see, the perspective from Easter Saturday says that my, my struggles, my struggles have caused me so much pain and regret. And they've caused nothing but death and destruction in my life. My addictions. There's these things that kept me locked up and there's no hope for me to get out from under this. My marriage It's so cold, I see no hope for the future. My spouse died, and with it, my hope for the future died as well. See, that's the view we have many times on Easter Saturday. But the view on Easter Sunday is so different. See, the view on Easter Sunday says that death and the grave could not hold him, and now the addictions and the struggles that I have in my life cannot keep me in bondage either. The the, the scars that he bore in his body on my behalf helped me to overcome the scars of my past, to live a different life today. Because the grave, because he was victorious over the grave, I can be victorious over the guilt in my life. Because he rolled stones away, then I can move in him any stone that's in my path. God is still moving stones, and your life does not have to stay the same. And if your view of Easter is Easter Saturday, I'm telling you, hang in there. Two things I would tell you to do if you're on an Easter Saturday right now. Number one, you've just got to understand that God is with you. God promises to never leave you. He promises to never forsake you. In fact, in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, it says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If you're in the middle of a hopeless situation right now and you feel like, man, I don't know what to do. It's Easter Saturday. Things seem dark and bleak and your heart is crushed. You may be closer to God right now than you've ever been. Because God draws near to the brokenhearted. He's right there with you. He's still there. He promises to never leave. He's with you. And secondly, I would tell you that God is working. If the resurrection tells us anything, is that God is always working. There's never a time when this is it, it's done. But that God is always behind the scenes. When he seems to be silent, it doesn't mean that he's still. He's always working. He's always moving. And as the disciples experienced an Easter Saturday where everything was lost, God was working, and things were happening. They had no idea what was coming the next day. Here's what the Scripture says in the book of Romans. Chapter 8, verse 28 says, We are confident, and this is Paul. This is Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church. Now the apostle Paul, and he writes, We are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything. That means he's working Constantly orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. God, I trust you. I trust you. And I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know where the hope is coming, but I trust you and I place all my hope in you. Not the circumstances that surround me right now because God is working. And the truth of Easter, if you could boil it down to one simple message, it's this. Everything will be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. Everything you're traveling through, everything you're experiencing right now, I'm telling you it's going to be okay in the end. If you're in the middle of it, just keep going because God has not abandoned you. God is still moving stones, and if you're in the middle of an Easter Saturday, I'm telling you Easter Sunday is right around the corner. Do not give up now. Stay the course. Hang with Him. Know that God is still making things happen. He's still making things new. He's still bringing dead things back to life. And He's still causing people to experience the unexpected. Trust Him. Easter Sunday is coming. Let me pray for us, okay? You know, a moment ago, you heard Nick in his story reference a prayer that we prayed on the end of that Sunday, that Easter Sunday. And that prayer then is the same today. It said if you're here and you've never entered into a relationship with God through His Son Jesus, that Jesus came and He died so that we could have a relationship with God. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I'm the only one. You must come through me. And his sacrifice that he made was for us. And if you've never opened up your heart and your life to Jesus, I would encourage you today to do that. And if there's something that's going on inside of you right now that as I've been talking about this and it's saying inside of you, you need this, yes, what he's saying is right. If if you're experiencing any of those things, I'm just telling you, it's just God's Spirit working in your heart. And if that's where you are, I would just encourage you very simply to pray. And prayer is just our, our way to express faith to God. But just simply pray something like this. Jesus, I know that you died, not just for the world, but for me. And I know you were raised to life on the third day. And I pray that you would be my Savior today. I invite you into my life to take control. Help me to live for you. Help me to experience Easter Sunday the real way. Thank you for saving me. God, I pray for anyone that just opened up their heart to you for the very first time. I pray that in this moment they would, in a very real and tangible way, know that their life has changed that you've brought a new beginning to their heart. And God, I pray that they would live from this day forward in that relationship with you, just thankful every day for the grace that you've supplied and the mercy and for your love. And I pray for every one of us in the room today. Father, if there's anyone here that's experiencing an Easter Saturday and they don't know They don't know what the next day is bringing. They don't know where the light is going to come from. They're running out of hope. They're running out of options. God, I pray that they would just continue to trust in you and to know that you're working constantly, that you've never left them. God, as they lean into you, I pray that now in this moment they would feel a sense of peace. And it's not peace like everything has gotten better, but it's just a peace that passes all that kind of understanding, that in the middle of chaos, they can be at rest knowing that their trust is completely in you. Thank you for making things new. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us a future. And I pray that we would live for you every day of our lives. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.